So welcome to, I believe it's episode 19 of Leather and Limits. And today we are going to do a very unique episode. Uh, joining me today is Kim and Get Me and Miss Rue. And we are going to be talking about being a person of leather that identifies as woman, lady, those types of things. And some of the neat challenges and experiences that we've had because of that. Um, this is an episode that I have wanted to do for quite some time, uh, mainly because we all do have some very unique experiences and we you know, have a different and very unique perspective coming into leather, but also into kink. And I like to kind of highlight some of those voices. And both of you are people that are near and dear to my heart, that I appreciate your lived experiences immensely. And I've learned a lot from both of you. And so I wanted you to be able to share it on this platform if you are so inclined. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Since you showed up, I figured that's a yes. So yes, well, um, uh, we're here. So and tell me to fuck off. So I think I think we're good. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I know we've kind of gone over uh, origin stories in, in previous episodes, but if one of you wants to start with kind of how you even got interested in leather, or when it dawned on you that you were leather, and how how was your reception when you started identifying as leather? Let's start there. I'll I'll let you go first. Me? Sure. Em, go for it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. So my my very first exposure to any kind of you know leather culture, uh, I was still living in Indiana. Um, in my twenties, early early to mid twenties, and I was dating a bisexual girl who um, ran with motorcycle gang. And so that was my first exposure. And um, it's a lot different than how I interact with leather culture now, but um, it did set the foundation for me. It taught me a lot about consent um, and just, you know, about brotherhood and sisterhood. And I think those are the things that are really important to me. So, you know, fast forward another, I don't know, 10 years or so, and I sort of dabbled in in kink and um, made my way to California. And then I was out of the scene for quite some time, just trying to find my way. And um, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I found the San Diego community and um, went on a camping trip with a bunch of leather people. And really like that's where i that's where i found my roots and and decided you know that this is what touched my heart and this is the way i wanted to move uh through the scene and that i wanted to walk a leather path and i'm on it um ever evolving and i i think it's the best thing that that's happened to me as far as um you know finding people that i can really trust to um, to have my back and to also call me out, you know, hold me accountable for the things that I say, uh, how I want to live and how I want to present, um, you know, they keep me in line. And I think that's a big part of my journey. Awesome. That's awesome. That, yeah. that definitely strikes a chord, right? Cause it's, I find, especially the more leather folk that I engage with, um, cause I'm very fortunate now to be around some, I would say a rich leather 
community, as fractured as it may be. But to hear a lot of, that seems to be like a common thread that people, it's not so much a sense of belonging, it's a sense of like a, a higher state of being when it comes to how we view ethics, how we view the community, how we view our interactions just with other people outside of kink. And it starts forming all these different layers with how we even communicate. And I have found a lot of folks that identify as leather don't realize that they were leather. And then they get around other leather folks and are like, oh shit, you do that too? You know, and then you, so you start seeing it build from that. And I find that those lessons that you learn the first couple of years you come into it and you really embrace it tend to stick with you the longest. Yeah, I, I get that as well. Yeah. Um, my, I, I've kind of talked about it a little bit before, but my leather journey, it's, I call it my leather journey now because I can look back and I can put all the pieces together and I can put all the dots together that make sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't anything, honestly, mine started uh, from like childhood. You know, I, I have vivid memories of my dad. My dad was a police officer. He was a retired homicide investigator. And we lived in the city that he worked in. And so I was raised in a police station and mm -hmm. around uniforms and around community and around giving back. Like his name was in the newspaper a lot because of some of the things that he did. And he used to always take me, I'm from central Florida, and he used to always take me down during the day, never at night when I was a kid to bike week because I loved them and he loved motorcycles and I loved motorcycles and he had a leather vest that he only wore once a year during bike week, you know, to go down there and he would take me down there during the day and I'd see everything and I would see the MCs mm -hmm. and, you know, I would ask questions about him and he was honest with me, you know, he, he told me what they were and, you know, they weren't, um, they didn't have the, the values that my dad was trying to raise me in because we were also raised in church. And so, but he was honest with me about them and I was always intrigued and everything. So I grew up with a fascination of that culture and that it, I, it always drew me to it. And my grandfather was in the army and so military, you know, and he was always very big in the community and he wore these leather boots to work every day. And, um, again, vivid memories of helping my grandfather take his boots off at the end of the day. He'd sit in his chair and you pull and you pull and you take his boots off. And like, I don't know, it's just stupid memories, but it's like vivid. They're like etched in my mind. It was just something that you did is you helped pop take his, take his boots off. And I have sat for hours with my grandfather when he would shine and clean his leather boots. Because you had boots you went to church in and you dressed up for and you had boots that you worked in. And you had to take care of them. You know, same with my dad. I spent hours on the floor cleaning his police gear because you wore leather back then. Nothing was this Velcro <laughs> stuff that they wear. You're laughing, Max. <laughs> yeah, I am. It wasn't this lightweight Velcro-y shit that they wear now. It was everything was down to the handcuff case was leather. And you had to condition it and take care of it and or it went to crap because it's salt, salt air, Florida. And, you know, all of that always resonated with me in the way that they do it to the point now where I have my grandfather's original 
bootshine kit and it's still got his stuff in it. <laughs> you know, wow. um, I, I refuse to take it out. <laughs> yeah, right. It's nostalgia. And, yeah, I refuse to take it out. And so when I got into kink, I had no idea that that leather was involved in kink. So I was never exposed to it except in the magazines that I would look at to try to get ideas on how to kink. And I was like, oh, oh, oh chaps and vests. And, you know, I, I <laughs> always love Oh my God. And it gay porn is was my go-to. So the 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 gay male leather porn was my gig. And so to me, okay, and kink that's leather. And so that worked. And it wasn't until probably 2012, maybe, when I was in Alabama and I discovered community and I went to my first ever munch was there were these older guys wearing leather vests and they had the patches on it like MCs. And I'm like, kink has an MC? What? <laughs> what? Hmm. Tell me this isn't so. Um, but those are, the, those are the people that I gravitated towards. And even though they were probably 20, 30 years older than me, we, we understood each other and we got each other and they... They accepted me. And that's how I learned about being leather in the community. And I was like, oh, you know, all of these things that they stood for and all of these things that they would talk about, I could relate back to my grandfather or my dad or, you know, just in the way that I was raised. And it, I didn't think it was for me because it was all men. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so this all resonates. This all feels good. I can find my place in this, just like I found my place with the men in my life. And I was like, I know how to support this. I know how to talk to this. I know how to be around this. Okay. You know, so I never, I never thought that it was for me because I, I only saw the women as leather, as submissives. Yeah. And, and so I was struggling with my own identity because I obviously wasn't submissive, but I thought I was, <laughs> I was a horrible submissive, yeah. you know? And so I really didn't think, that's why I say I ran from leather, like leather had to catch up with me because if you weren't a submissive woman, then leather wasn't for you. Yeah. And so that, that played a huge part in my whole running from leather. I knew how to be around it. I knew how to associate with it. I knew how to appreciate it and talk to it. But that's why I never thought it was really for me. Now that makes sense. I think I think I had a lot of similar experiences. Um definitely because you know you base it on what you can see and what you have access to. And and same thing. Mine was started with a lot of gay porn. Um when I started being interested in kink, I thought I was just a leather fetishist. Um, mm -hmm. I loved wearing leather. I loved the smell of leather. You know, all of this, the the solvents and everything that you use to clean leather and condition leather. Like, I was in love with all of that from a pure fetish perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how, it, and that's how it started for me. Like, even you know, my early days of college, like the, the I always had a thing for the leather aesthetic. Um, 
I was a goth kid. So, you know, leather jackets and that kind of shit were normal. You know, I had my leather converse and, you know, I was in, in heaven. And then my actual leather journey also started in law enforcement. Um, and for obvious political reasons, this is not something I talk about very often because it's very hard for a lot of people to hear. But um, when I got into law enforcement, I... I didn't understand what the leather lifestyle was, and I didn't know that the men I was working with and the men that were training me were also kinky. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got a double whammy like right up front because I wasn't one of the boys. I wasn't one of the guys. I was never one of those. Um, in fact, the word split tail was thrown at me quite a lot. And, you know, it, it was derogatory at first, and then it became kind of endearing. It was very weird how that morphed. But, um, you know, over my career... I was able to blend a lot of my fetishism with how I cared for my gear. And so, you know, just the routine maintenance of everything, like you were talking about, Miss Rue, um, absolutely was a thing for me. That was my Saturday morning ritual. Mm -hmm. I got to sit down, I got to clean everything, you know, I would condition everything, check everything, you know, make sure that the leather wasn't cracking. You yeah. know, I was spit polishing my boots because, you know, my family, um, everybody is military with the exception of me. I went in a different direction, obviously. Um, but I was raised being able to spit shine boots. Mm -hmm. You know, I was taught, I was taught, you know, probably the sloppy Navy way, but I was taught how to shine and care for my boots with nothing but a lighter, some kiwi, um, an old t-shirt, an ice cube, and and a lid from a mason jar. You know, oh my gosh! Wow! Yeah, and I can and make. I've, I've brought that up to some of the boot blacks before, yeah. and they're like, "You put an open flame on your leather," and I look at them and I'm like, right, you I "Don't." <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you shine boots without flame, but okay. But no, I mean, but and and so I have that reaction. It's funny you say that. The first time I shined a pair of boots in the dungeon, I, that was the reaction I got. I had like eight people descend on me because they were like, yes. what the fuck are you doing? And there was one older gentleman that was sitting in the corner and he got up and he goes, who taught you that? And I was like, my father. Mm -hmm. And he's like, your father was a squid. And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, yeah, that's what you do on ship. And I just kind of laughed because I'm like, finally, somebody understood what the fuck I was doing and why I did it. Mm -hmm. you know? And and I remember sitting there like with my father shining my boots as he showed me, you know, when I was in the police academy, he had to show me how to do that because I didn't fucking know. And I remember sitting there for hours getting that mirror shine mm -hmm. on a pair of crappy, cheap, you know, $15 boots because it was all I could afford at the time, you know, and I actually still have one pair of boots uh, that I did keep from early in my career that I am very, very proud of. They look absolutely deplorable, but they're mine. Um, thankfully, I've graduated past those boots. <laughs> I have the same now. pair in my garage. My original Cortex. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Those. Minor Magnums. Minor Magnums. I own that. Um, <laughs> no, but but yeah. So I mean, so my a lot of a lot of the the, the ways I was shown leather culture was very strongly rooted within the law enforcement and military community specifically. Once I got into kink, it was gay men that I felt more at home with, I felt the most accepted by, 
and I got the least amount of harassment from. Mm -hmm. Didn't know that there was straight leather. Didn't know that there was lesbian leather because I'd never seen it. And, you know, once I started getting more confident in my kink journey, started vo volunteering at venues and stuff like this. And I volunteered at a leather dungeon and helped run this leather dungeon for a while. And it was a gay leather dungeon. And so I got heavily immersed into gay leather ideologies and gay leather rituals and things like that. And I didn't know that there were other ways to be. I didn't know that those some of those protocols were unique to that group, right? And so I, I didn't fully appreciate at the time, especially, um, but I didn't honestly understand what I was actually seeing as being a closed group. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the rituals and stuff that I, I adopted early on absolutely were borrowed from that, um, appropriated, whatever. Um, yeah, that's, but that's how I got started. And mm -hmm. I, Miss Rue knows this and it's, we laugh about it now, but same thing. Leather had to come find me before mm -hmm. I would openly say I am a leather woman. It was not an identity I was comfortable sharing because I felt like I was, I was wearing somebody else's persona. Well, and a lot of that, you know, again, we've talked about this, you know, the, the, when I came to Florida, the examples of straight leather that I had was not anything that I could resonate with. I didn't right. understand it. It um, was a very closed off group. It was a group of people where, you know, if you weren't in their inner circle, it didn't matter how you identified, they didn't have anything for you. And so it, it was, it boggled my mind. I didn't understand that because even, even in Alabama, even though it was, it was male dominant, um, heavy, I will say, you know, they still had, it was still a leather community where here, you know, and even after I came and, and I openly identified as leather and was embracing it. And even after I had been gifted my boots in the same dungeon, I still was not recognized by these people. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, you know what? Yeah, screw it. I guess my path is is I'm going to be the leather person in the kink community. That way, when somebody brings it up, they can go, oh, I know a person. Uh -huh. And I just said, okay, so this is my lot in life. I'm going to be that leather person in a kink community. And I'm not meant to be in a leather community because I don't fit in. Like, it's still to this day, it's hard for me to find a community that I fit into. Um, because you don't have the, the presence in this area. It's all around us. It's in South Florida. It's in North Florida, but Central Florida is so fractured still with its leather community and ideologies and all of it around it. I still don't have like a quote unquote commute, a leather community around me. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, which is, it boggles my mind. It's so odd. And I tried. And, and you know, I, I tried. I created a leather munch to try to get everybody together. It worked until everybody, it, it worked until it didn't, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's. And that was a beautiful people, thing. It, it was. It, 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 was it was really nice. Well. Yeah. But it worked until it didn't. And yeah. so, yeah, that's a frustrating thing for me, too. I find, and, and I'm, and I'm not, 
I'll, I'll ask this question of both of you. When you started engaging with more leather folk, did you find yourself having to undo parts of yourself or undo part of your wiring? Because I know I did. I think a lot of it was because of the porn misconceptions that I had mm -hmm. from watching so much gay porn that I assumed I knew how everybody interacted. You know, I, I was like, oh, everybody's cruising. That's the whole reason why you're flagging and everybody's doing this. And, oh, they've got keys. Okay, well, they're down. And it wasn't until, like, I really started interacting with people on a semi-regular basis that I realized how specific some of those things were. So I'm curious to hear from the both of you, um, especially with how radically different we came into things. Like, what were some of those biases that you had when you came into leather? I would say some of my biases were that I I could not be comfortable being a dominant because I wasn't a man. And I I still feel there's a tinge of I have to fight for space. I have to fight to be validated and um to justify who I am. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. And I don't know if it's just a societal change for the good or because people have just learned to stop fucking with me. Um, <laughs> I, I think it might be both. Um, but <laughs> that and I had to, I really had to, to learn to be able to appreciate people's stories and hear their history without feeling like I had to adopt it as my own. Yeah. Um, especially when you were, when I was surrounded by, you know, these, these straight white men in their sixties and seventies talking about the way things used to be. And then they would bring up old guard and they would bring up the way things should be and all this. And I used to think that if I didn't adopt what they were saying as my own ideology that I would never fit in. Mm -hmm. And I had to break that of myself to realize that I can have my own history and I can have my own ideology. And it doesn't just because it doesn't match theirs doesn't mean it's not valid. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, Maybe one of the biases is that, uh, like Ms. Rue, like I wasn't going to be able to have my own, my own thoughts, my own identity in, in the leather community that I would have to be a follower or I wouldn't be accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not true. And I'm super grateful for that. Um, and I also, you know, I thought that I wouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah, I did. I did. I, I really, you know, I didn't, um, I knew I was, you know, accepted, but, um, I didn't know if I would be taken seriously. It was super difficult to find a mentor, you know, and that kind of made me feel like maybe I'm just a decoration here and nobody really has any faith in me. Um, <laughs> but eventually I found the right person. Um, but honestly, I don't, I don't really feel like I came in with a lot of biases. Yes. Um, I was just looking to, I was really looking to belong somewhere and um, to sort of build a chosen family. Cause I don't really, you know, I'm estranged from my family. So I was searching to bond and 
you know, I found it here. I found it here. And it took a while to, to find people that I felt comfortable with. Um, and some of those people are not in my life anymore and that's okay. I think that's just evolution. We, we learn and hopefully, you know, they learned from me too. Mm -hmm. Um, but the biggest thing was just like finding a place, finding a place. So I think I just let go. I let go of a lot of things that I thought I knew. I obviously didn't know. And I felt like I needed to do that to be able to move on. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know for me, one of the things that happened and it was, it was kind of strange. So being a leather fetishist, starting to identify with leather folk and having a lot of things resonating with the leather folk that I was interacting with. When I started seeing the importance that was being placed on garments themselves, I found that I actually stopped wearing leather to the dungeon at all because I was so worried about being seen as someone who was um, going to take up spaces that they weren't entitled to. Mm-hmm claiming an identity that I hadn't been entitled to yet. Like I hadn't, like I hadn't proven myself. Right. So I actually stopped wearing leather and I used to wear like leather boots, leather skirts, a vest, you know, that was, that was kind of like my go-to, Hey, I'm going out and completely got rid of everything. Um, the only thing I kept were several pairs of boots. That was it. And I, I would wear faux leather or like PVC type stuff. I completely stopped wearing leather despite the fact that was actually one of my primary kinks. Um, and part of that was because I was, I really was so worried about being seen as like a poser. Right. And, and kind of to like what both of you were saying, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. I didn't see any dominant women. That was for damn sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously mostly around gay men, but even when I started interacting with other heterosexual couples and things like that, none of them had strong female dominance were beautifully strong submissives, um, very secure, you know, women that were very secure in their submission. And I thought that was beautiful, but I'm like, yeah, that's not it either. And you know, I unfortunately got connected with some toxic elements within the leather community and basically was told, well, you have to be a submissive. Mm. And I was like, but I'm not submissive. Like I, I, I'm at that stage where I'm starting to top. Like I know I'm not submissive anymore. At that part of me that was submissive, I've outgrown her. So like I, I already had started that mental shift, right? Mm -hmm. And I had people telling me, well, no, you need to join my house and you're going to be a slave to the house. And then after, you know, four or five years, you may be able to start topping again. Until that time, you know, you, you are going to be a slave to the house. And I was like, that ain't it. This can't be it. So, and part of me is like, you, know, you fall back into mindsets that you're comfortable with, right? Mm -hmm. So part of me falls back into an almost law enforcement mindset of, well, you got to work your way back up the ranks. You know, mm. Here I am a rookie again. And so I kind of fell into some of that where I was like, okay, no, I guess this is normal because you know, nobody's presented me with boots yet. So I'm not actually recognized by any community. And, you know, yeah, I say that I'm topping, but you know, nobody gives a fuck because I'm a girl. And you know, these, these men don't see anything in me yet. I haven't proven to them that I'm worth investing in. I was really hung up on the, the whole, I need to prove that I'm worth investing in. Mm -hmm. So there was, there's a dark, <laughs> it's a dark period of two years where I 
I kicked it into overdrive to compensate for that because again, I still hadn't seen any strong women. Yeah. Still hadn't seen anybody who was not a man. Um, and it wasn't until I started interacting with some of the women down in South Florida. Um, I went to a couple of play parties with Wolf, um, yep. women of Mother Florida. Mm. And I got I to Wolf. see. Huge shout out. I did too. <laughs> Huge, massive shout out to Wolf because yeah. they have such a nice. beautiful, pure community that is healthy. They're all about empowering each other and teaching each other. And when I walked, I called. So it's funny. I called before I went into their event because I was like, fuck, this isn't for me. They're going to be like, fuck this girl. And so I called and I'm like, hey, um, am I allowed to attend? Absolutely. We welcome newcomers. Cool. Can I bring my husband? No, he can wait in the car. I was like, I'm kind of his submissive, but I'm starting to identify as a top. And they're like, so here's the deal. It's a women's space. I was like, holy shit. That's hot. <laughs> then my second thought was, <laughs> way the person said it to me on the phone, it was such a security of, no, fuck him. He can wait outside. And I was like, oh, damn. Like, hot damn. This, mm -hmm. this is a space where I'm no longer feeling like I'm competing. Yeah. And so I was like, and I was terrified. And he dropped me off at the front door. He's like, I'll go fuck off for a couple hours. Go have fun. So he dropped me off at the front door. And... I walk in not knowing fuck all anyone, wearing no leather because I'm like not trying to be that girl. And three women walk up to me. Hey, you must be new. I don't recognize you. I'm so-and-so. You know, do you want to see the layout of the place? It's kind of small. You know, we apologize. And I'm like, yeah, I would love just to observe because I don't know anything yet. And they're like, well, how long have you been in a kink? And I was like, pretend I don't know fuck all. Just treat me like a rook. It's cool. And was also the first time I had not only seen that women identified as leather, but that they were lesbian women. Mm -hmm. Not all of them were butch. That was another thing that I had never been exposed to. I was so used to seeing gay men, leather spaces, you know, leather pups, you know, the bar scene. So that when I did start encountering lesbians that were leather, I only saw the ultra butch daddy. Yeah. Never got to see anything else. So then I was like, well, fuck, this group isn't for me either because yeah. I don't look, I don't look like that. I don't behave that way. I don't, that's not how I express myself. So I'm like, fuck, I don't fit in here either. I don't fit with the heterosexuals because I'm bisexual. I don't fit with the gay men because obviously wrong equipment. I'm also not a lesbian. I'm not a dyke and I'm not butch. So I'm like, I'm not a pup. Do I, I'm not yeah. a pup. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, others not for me. I exited it completely. I stopped interacting with leather folk for quite a while. And then somebody who had seen me at a play party reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, we noticed that you haven't really been engaging. Like, is your health okay? Like, what's going on? And I was like, I just don't think I'm a leather person. They were like, how the fuck could you think that? Uh, which, you know, both of you know me, so, you know, it is yeah. laughable to hear it now. <laughs> at the time, I was like, no, I, I think I think I'm just a fetishist. And I think I really, like, I got caught up with the people that I was around. So I'm just a fetishist. And and I said that for years. No, I'm just a fetishist. You know, and it, and it wasn't until we had some folks trying to create a leather house and, you know, my input was asked for some of it. 
It was like, your leather is fuck. And I'm like, am I though? Am I really? And then I had a Sally Fields moment. Like, I made it. They like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? But it, but it was so weird for me that I just, I never really got to see men like me. Not until I got into bigger cities. It's just, I, I don't know. It was, it was very strange how I just never got to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that carried, that carried a lot of, of baggage. No, I, I remember, I remember that moment too. When, when someone said to me, you know, your leather and it was also almost like a childlike moment, you know, <laughs> like, Oh my God. <laughs> they like, really? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that makes like I get it. I pe- like and and I'm sure people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, "Wow, really? Like how could you not know?" That? You know, like, "Holy shit, Knox, like I've seen you. You're so leather." Yeah. You know, but it's I don't think people understand the inter- the amount of internal work that leather folk do. Yes. No, go through. I don't think they do either. And and it's people massive. I I get people that will come up and and that's I, and I know we talk about it a lot. Um you know, in other, in other ways, but, you know, they're like, they want to know all the things. How do I do this? How do I become leather? What is leather? And, and I want to give them information. I really, really do. I want to help them along. Mm -hmm. I, I really want to keep that spark going. I've yet to have been able to figure out a way to explain to them that I can't give you everything. Like, I don't think they understand that like this went back to childhood for me. Yes. And yeah. so like I had, I built this over experiences of between my dad, my grandfather, my husband was in the military. You know, I was a military wife and lived in the military. And at one time my husband was a police officer as well. I was a 911 operator in EMT. You know, like I, I don't know how to tell people that, this was such a journey for me that I was in my thirties before I put it all together. Right. So I can give you all the books and I can sit and we can light a fire and drink whiskey and tell stories. We can do all of these things, but until like these things in my mind, until these things kind of start happening to your life and you start putting the pieces of your life around you together, like that's not something I can teach you. That's not a book I can show you. And I don't know how necessarily to translate that to other women or, or, or other, other people without it being like, well, you got to figure that out for yourself, kid. You know, it's, (laughs) you know, I think, uh, I think sometimes I was, you know, just listening to you and I think sometimes people see leather as you know going from the outside in like let me let me get this vest and i'll go to this leather event and then i'll be able to pick up all these things and i'll become leather you know like Mm -hmm. from the outside in but it's really you know it's an it's from the inside it's it's like you said miss rue like this is something that lived in us Mm -hmm. um that we probably didn't fully understand couldn't wrap our head around until something sparked it right but sometimes it's not a tangible thing you know it's, and it doesn't it's have to be not. that way for everybody i'm not saying everybody has to have this lifelong like buddha moment where <laughs> they're putting all the pieces of their life together to come to this epitome some people literally 
look at their life where they're at right then and decide this is what I am and this is the path I'm going on. And all of it's valid. It's all Mm -hmm. valid because, and, and that's one of the things that frustrates me too, is people are like, you know, they, they want to debate the validity of somebody's leather. I'm never going to debate the validity of somebody's leather or their path. I'm only going to debate whether or not they're being true to it. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not here to debate if your path was as good or as in-depth or measured up to anybody else's, because I really don't give a shit about that. What are you doing with it now? However, I still want people to have a sense of ownership of their journey. I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be based because I told a cool story and my cool story made you feel good. So now it's a thing. It's, and that's one of the biggest difficult things that I have right now with, um, with people who are not leather that are inquiring about it is they, it's almost like they're waiting for somebody to give them this thing. And I don't know how to tell them that's not going to happen without coming off as that elitist gatekeeping thing that we're fighting. I, and I get that because I get where you're coming from with that. I think for me, I know when people approach me and they're like, hey, so I'm curious about leather and I'm, you know, curious about identifying as a leather person. And I'm like, okay. I always ask them, what are you hoping to gain mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. identifying as leather? Like, you know, because because those motivations, I think, do matter with how I try to guide and help. Because... You know, again, a lot of my shit was Googling other history, you know, learning about different political movements that came into the leather community, learning about the original MCs and, you know, the guys coming back from the wars and how they established camaraderie and like really digesting how much of that culture started kind of being shifted around everybody else as they looked at it and went, holy fuck, I need that too. But now, I find that when you've got people that are genuinely interested and they're overwhelmed because they don't know how to start, those are the ones that I'm like, learn why leather started and yeah. then see if it still resonates. If you learn mm-hmm. why leather culture became a thing and you go, fuck all that, and it's not for you and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It means it's not for you right now. It doesn't mean that leather is just not for you. And, and I've told people that, too, because I'm like, it, it depends on where you are in your own personal journey within kink. Now, as much as leather is completely separate from kink, we do intertwine a lot of it. Um, and obviously, most of the leather folk you're going to encounter typically are at dungeons. Let's just yeah. be honest. Mm-hmm. Or at kink events, right? So, so there's a lot of bleed over there. But there's also like this weird fallacy that leather folk are like these weird unicorns you see in the corner. And people are terrified to even approach them because it's like you're looking at God on the mountain in the corner. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've seen this happen. And they're like, oh, no, you can't go talk to that person. The fuck not. He put his pants on the same way I do. Why can't I go talk to him? Oh, well, that's a covered master. I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> no, and and that's kind of I earned a reputation early in because I was an upstart in that regard because I would walk up. Hey. And I ask you some highly personal fucking questions that I'm not entitled to. Mm-hmm. They would look at you like, okay, now I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, who the fuck is this bitch? And, and, I would, and I would say, I would be very, very clear. I'm like, I'm curious how you got started in leather. 
how did you find out that you were even interested in this? And did you actually identify like that? Or did you have to go through like a process? And that's when I started learning more that I asked those questions. That's when I started learning how people's views on presentation leather changed. Mm -hmm. Now, how much of that wasn't actually a thing? How much of that was actually heterosexual? Mm-hmm. Now, and, and how much of that people were like, yeah, I, I don't fucking care who gave you your boots, whatever. Like, if you want to look cool, have at it. You know, and you know, a couple of years in, I realized, wow, brown leather is a fucking thing to some folks. And then mm-hmm. black leather is a thing for to some folks. And then like, oh, my God, if you get colored leather, then you're just fucking crazy. And, you know, like, so hearing these different things. And then I will say one of the cool things about being in Los Angeles I've been able to interact with folks in the leather community that are people of color and how their leather culture has evolved for them, right? Mm -hmm. And how, you know, different rituals, customs, and things like that, because it is another closed group. Um, Just hearing those expressions and how they evolved. Like, it's, it's been really fun for me to just hear these different stories and, you know, it's been eye-opening in a lot of ways too, right? Because growing up in the South, mm-hmm. I have a whole yeah. lot of diversity. No. Um, and especially within the leather culture, you don't see a shit ton of diversity. Mm-mm. Now, I'll use the leather munch as a prime example. When we were attending the leather munch, I think we had three people of color and the rest were white. Yeah. And it was like, this can't be it. You know? Yep. It was a great group. Everybody, we we were able to get the community together. And I say we because I was a diehard supporter. Oh, yeah. Huge. Uh, mimosas helped. Uh, <laughs> never, never a downfall. No. <laughs> it, it was a brunch munch. So that was very fun. It was um, a brunch munch that sometimes didn't until two or three in the afternoon. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> but, it really, but it was a great group. And like when this munch would happen... No, we would, there was probably at one point, what, 30 to 40 people that showed up and they would yep. stay the whole time. It wasn't, yep. it wasn't like a drop in, be seen, shake hands, kiss babies and leave. Like these folks were coming, sitting down and saying, Hey, I want to spend time with you. You're yep. my people. Yeah. And that was, I, I have found, well, I can't say I found, I have never found anything like that since. I can honestly say that. I've never found a group of leather folk that was as welcoming and inviting. I will say you had to chip past that initial veneer to get in it. Yeah. Walking into that room was daunting, even for me. Like, because it was like, I'm sitting there going, every man sitting here has a leather hat on. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh, there's a title holder in the corner. Oh, fuck. I don't even have boot presented to me. I don't belong here. You know, and then we start talking and it's like, hey, I saw you playing last night. Like, hey, that was a really cool fucking scene you did. Like, hey, could you show me this thing? Or you'd hear somebody else going, hey, does anybody know how to do needle play? Because my girl's curious about this shit. And mm-hmm. then it was like, you see everybody just open up. And it was like, mm-hmm. this is beautiful. Or the fun yeah. times were when we would sit around and literally not even talk about kink. Like, <laughs> we, would just, we would just talk. And you would, see, you would see people that when you're at the dungeon, they really don't have a lot to do with each other. But then they would all come to this munch and you'd see them talking like they've known each other forever. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. This is because we had two very distinct dungeons back then. And it was almost like having two houses. Uh, You know, you either belong to one or you belong to the other. And very rarely did the two 
crossover. combined, but yeah. they would combine it this much. Now they might not ever go to each other's dungeon, but at the munch, I, I considered it like Switzerland. Like there is no house. There is no yeah. thing. This is not dungeon based. This is, we live in the same geographical area. And yeah. so we're going to sit together at the same table and eat food and drink. And <laughs> when, and that was my goal for the whole thing. And it, and I kept true to it. I was like, look, this is what we're doing. We're, we live in the same area. We're going to sit on a table and we're going to drink. And it worked. It worked. <laughs> it worked really well. Simple. <laughs> well and, that's, and that's the thing, because that's, you know, and like, I brought up the presentation of leather for a reason. Like, what was, for both of you, what was your exposure to that? Was presentation of leather a thing that, that you got to see? Yeah, I was exposed to it in my Alabama community, and it resonated so much with me because of the way that they presented. And I have done everything I can to bring that to Central Florida, kicking and screaming. It's not always uh, well-received by everybody until they experience it. And then they're like, okay, I get it now. Um, so it was a part of the way I was brought up in seeing leather. Uh, however, I through my exposure with people outside of this area, I now have a an appreciation for for people who are not for the leather that's not presented. So I don't think that it's an end all be all. Uh, I tell people all the time that it's a personal preference when they start asking about it. Well, do I have to be presented? You don't have to do anything, darling. <laughs> like yeah. you you don't have to do anything. What what's important to you? Is it important for you to be seen by your community and to receive this from your community? Or is it important to you to self-identify and have your path be uh, interpersonal to you? And then that's the route that we can go on. So, that, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen both. I've also seen both. Um, but I, I, I must say, and I just had this conversation a couple days ago, that um, I hope that somewhere, sometime on my journey, um, that my, you know, that my people, my tribe, sees me as someone uh, worthy enough to be gifted a piece of leather. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's something that I, that I really hope happens on my journey, because the times that I've been present, you know, for a covering or a presentation of boots, I saw someone get pants one time, I saw someone get a belt. It's always just so like, it goes deep, you know, mm -hmm. it really goes deep. And it's such a great experience. And it just adds so much more to, you know, to what leather means. And I didn't really, I didn't really get that part until, you know, I'd, I'd been a part of a, you know, of a ceremony for lack of a better word um just how important it is so hopefully you know i'll get that experience sometime i'm gonna try i'm gonna do my best <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think like for me personally it's i i'm a bit torn on the issue um for a couple different reasons i definitely appreciate why people feel it's something to strive for and I get why that feeling's there. I also understand the history of why gifting of leather even became a thing. Um, because a lot of folks aren't aware 
of how that practice even really started. And Kim, I know you've talked about this on another episode, but recognizing the contribution that lesbian leather had to the leather community overall, especially in the 80s. Um, there's a lot of people that do not understand that you were given leather, not so much as a, hey, I see you. It was, I can't wear this anymore because someone died. Mm-hmm. Or I can't wear this anymore because I have AIDS and I've lost so much weight. It doesn't fit me anymore. So here, take this, you know, mm-hmm. give this to you. Not that that wasn't somehow less significant, right? Because these are still people that you cared about that that were seeing you and saying, hey, my fellow person, there's something of mine I can give to you so that I can kind of live on. But also a way of saying, let this go to waste. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so for me personally, when I hear people say, oh, I, I'm not leather yet because I haven't been presented my boots. I'm like, mm, that's not true. That's fucked up. Like, I'll present you boots right fucking now if that's what you need to feel validated. But then on the other hand, I recognize that with some people, people. being given boots by someone that they admire for them is a profound moment. Yes. So my problem Poor Rue has had to hear me espouse this many, many times. <laughs> I'm just sipping my coffee. That's all. <laughs> Got her Kermit the Frog face going on. So <laughs> she knows she knows what's coming. Yeah. Um, so one one of the things that that hits me, and and I own completely that this is my ism because of my unique coming into leather especially through law enforcement i never felt that somebody was qualified to present me leather and i say that because walking the path that i walked and the shit that i put up with and all the shit i endured from the men that i worked with as beautiful as it sometimes was no one else knows what that feels like unless they've done it and so to me, to have somebody present me boots, I needed it to, at that time, needed it to be someone who had walked and seen what I had seen. And there was literally no one around me who I felt would say that they had been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And so it had been joked about multiple times, oh, you know, Knox, we're going to present you boots, you know, let me know your shoe size. And I'm like, yeah, fucking nah, I'm good. Now, I'm good with the pair of boots that I've had for 10 years because they're fucking mine. And that's the first time that I realized kind of what kind of a backbone I even had when it came to leather folk. But then I started mentoring a couple people within kink, not leather. And one of those people started walking a leather path, started making it very, very clear that they were actively trying to engage in leather and learn about leather. And they dove headfirst into it. And for her, there was a distinct moment where she realized that she needed that validation to continue. Yeah. And so because of that, it presented her boots. And I got a fuck ton of backlash. And I mean an epic fuck ton of backlash. I had leather folks because she posted a picture on FET. It was beautiful. We had a fucking moment and it was gorgeous and I didn't care. But she posted it on FET. And I started getting messages. Who presented you boots? Fucking nobody, bitch. I bought my own. 
Mm-hmm. Like, where do you get off? Where the fuck do you get off writing to me when I don't know who you are? Yep. Not, you know, who the fuck are you to me? Right. And so then I started going, oh, my God, this community is not for me if this is how mm-hmm. I'm being treated when they're they're not recognizing somebody's trying to get up off the ground and they're not appreciating her struggle of trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I saw was yet again. You know, and granted, this was what was replaying in my mind was, hey, little girl, this ain't for you. I literally kept feeling that over and over again. And I was like, no, I gave her her goddamn boots and she's going to wear them. She's going to wear them every motherfucking day. She's going to wear them to every goddamn event. If she doesn't have them on her, I get to beat her ass. That's how we work. And she went through a phase of not wearing the boots because she felt, because of some things that happened in her life, she was not honoring them. And that's when I told her, this is why I think you're leather. Yeah. The fact that you took them off because you didn't feel you were living your own values is exactly why me you're leather. Now let's get you back on track. So true. And I felt like that was my job as her, as her kink mentor, but also as her best friend. And I had a lot of people give me shit tons of shade for even staying in contact with her. And I'm like, if I had given up on her, that would effectively to her had been the entire community turning their back on her. Mm-hmm. Which to me is not at all what we're about. You know, because the issues that she was having were all interpersonal and they were all personal to her love life. They had mm-hmm. nothing to do with the community at large at that time. And so like, I could not fathom the fact that these people were actually actively telling me, no, you need to walk away. She's not worth it. And I was like, that's exactly why she's worth it to me. Now, and so like, like to this day, I've never been presented a piece of leather. Um, I have been gifted leather. I've never been presented leather. I've gone to several leather presentation ceremonies. Um, they've been done beautifully, absolutely mm-hmm. meaningful, absolutely impactful and empowering to watch, right? Beautiful, beautiful ceremonies. Um, it's, and it's been awesome. Um, I mean, I was there when Miss Rue got her vest. It was a beautiful moment. Um, but I also can see why not everybody follows that tradition, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and why it's not actually really a tradition except for certain houses. You know, and, I, and I think both ideologies have value. You know, and I think that's where I get kind of torn because I hear people talk about it and they're like, oh, that's just some old guard bullshit that somebody sold you. And it's like, I actually know some old guard like bullshit folks that tried to bullshit um, because I do know of one person in the community that's a covered master that absolutely tells people, oh, yeah, I learned from this person, this person, this person. Oh, but they're all dead. So you can't vet me through them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> yeah. that's very suspicious. You know, I will say that I'm I'm not exactly <laughs> sure like, you know, I say that I want to have that experience. I hope I earn that experience, but I'm not sure that I've, I've met those people yet on my journey. Mm-hmm. I think it's I just, I think it happens organically and I'm just not sure I've met them yet. And maybe I won't, but I hope so. I, I appreciate the, the ceremonies that I have had. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade them for the world. they 
they are very, they are very, they were very meaningful to me um, for multiple reasons. Um, the the fact that this is going to sound kind of backwards, but the fact that you know I was gifted leather by a hetero, an old heterosexual white male, you know, was a little validating. You know, the yeah. the fact that these are the people that I thought I never got, you know, fit in with. The people I thought that, well, because I, I am not these things, it's not for me. And then that's the person that's putting the leather on me. It was, to me, it was, it had a little bit of validation to it. Um, so I, I saw it from that angle as well. Um, it, I've also, you know, one of my closest friends, you know, vested himself. Mm-hmm. And there were there are still people to this day that bring that up mm-hmm. and he's been a a pivotal part of this the education in this community the yeah. building of this community for 10 plus years mm-hmm. and people will still bring that up and, and not in front of me anymore mm-hmm. um because i'll be damned you know but he was one of those that that firmly believes in the ideology of gifted leather. And so, yeah, I I I did that for him. You know, and I got called an asshole the whole ceremony, but <laughs> by him. Um it was great. But uh, uh you know, it was worth every it was worth every asshole comment. You know, I would do it again. You know, it just it's hmm? I I, I hope going forward that people will, when they teach and when they share, that they that they share with the understanding of that this is what resonated with me, and you can have your own way. If it if it means more for you to get it from a leather community, then seek that out. Right. And yeah. and and that's another thing too is put that out there. People don't know if they if you don't tell them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've known people that have been gifted leather that are uncomfortable because they were like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> they won't yeah. wear it because no. they didn't ask for it. Yeah. And other people took it upon themselves that were like, oh, well, we're friends and we do everything together and you've expressed an interest. So I wanted to give you your boots so you could start your path. And they were like, oh, oh OK. Um, <laughs> and they've never put them on. You know, to me, that's like a, all right, well, I guess thanks for your permission. Yeah. Or this, like, you know? And that does, that smacks. I'm not going to lie. That would piss me off too, if that had happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've seen people it. that, you know, get very sold up and very upset when they aren't gifted leather. Mm-hmm. And, but then you want to look at them and go, well, who have you shared that with? Like, have right. you ever talked to the people that you consider important to you about how important this is to you? Yeah, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Articulate your need. Yeah. So if it yeah. is something that you feel that is important to you, you've got to let the people that are, that you surround yourself with know, mm-hmm. but it's okay either way. If you yeah. show up with a pair of leather boots, you know, people are always, they ask me, and I think they just like the drama. You know, they yeah. ask me, if you saw somebody coming in uh, to the dungeon in, in full cow, you know, what would you think of them? And uh-huh. I was like, well, first of all, I think they're going to be hot as fuck because it's Florida. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
who does that on purpose if you don't have yeah. to? <laughs> real though. Let's be real, you know. Like you are obviously not from here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, would I be curious? Yes. Anytime I see somebody with a master's cap on, I'm always curious. Who are they? Where are they from? Who do they know? Mm-hmm. Because I'm that's just me. I want to kind of know their lineage. I want to know where they came from. Who are they? Because you don't see people walking in very often like that. So of course it's going to be a natural curiosity to me. Am I going to question them? No, I'm going to watch them because just like, you know, Knox says, maybe they're a fetish, Mm -hmm. fetishist, you know, maybe, maybe they just really feel fucking hot wearing it and they're in a dungeon and they want to do the sexy time thing, you know? So who am I to go over there and start questioning them because they want to feel sexy. You know, there's nothing wrong with just letting people be my, Mm -hmm. my stock answer is always what's their intent. Yeah. Are they walking in 10 with the, are they walking here and walking in with the intent of trying to be something that they aren't like trying to prove a point or trying to get clout that they don't have? Or are they walking in, doing their thing, leaving everybody alone? It's personal to them and leaving. Yeah. The venue, not a end all be. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I think. I think that's the, the human part of it all, right? Like people kind of like with anything, people get obsessive they take it, you know, sometimes to extremes and they, they lose the the human factor of why they got into it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot where you see a lot of leather folk taking themselves just way too goddamn serious. Yes. Like, yeah. I, I totally get and respect you identify however you identify, but I know there's more to you than just you have a vest. I know there's more to you than your pup hood. I want to know the more of you. Mm-hmm. Right, like that's that's what determines to me. Are you somebody that I'm going to start letting into my circle or not? Because I want to know, what kind of ideologies do you have? What kind of ethics do you have? Like, what do you prioritize in your life? You know, is your life a walking shit show, or do you actually have your shit together because you're walking and you know practicing what you preach? Like, show me. You know, there's something to invest in, and I'll give you the world. Mm-hmm. But if all you're doing is flaunting to me that I'm the leatherest, leatherest person out there and I'm the Domley McDomley pants, eh, you could go be Mr. McDomley pants the fuck over there. Yeah. Exactly. I wish you will. And that's okay. Go be Mr. Mc- McDomley pants in your pants. You, you, you know, but don't expect anything from me. Correct. Correct. And, and, that's, and that's the other thing, too. And, and that's okay. Just because a leather person walks into the establishment doesn't mean that I have to have anything to do with them just because I'm <laughs> leather. Like, you have yeah. to gravitate to like-minded people. Yes, okay, so we're all walking this path, but that doesn't mean we have to be besties. We can be cordial. We can we can be different. We can be all the things. Mm-hmm. But and I can it, absolutely it, respect you over there. Over there, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that, and I do think that that is something that separates leather folk from the average kink folk and, and the rest of the folks that are in BDSM, because I think there is that mutual respect when you see each other of, I see you. Mm-hmm. And it's that simple. I see you. Have a good night. Mm-hmm. 
If you need anything, I'm right here. Otherwise, I hope you have a great time. If you're, you know, if you see me and something sparks and you're like, hey, I want to get to know that person, strike up a conversation. But I think it is kind of one of the unusual camaraderies that I've experienced within leather. You do not find, I mean, because prime example, you show up to a dungeon wearing latex and of course everybody's going to turn and look at you because it's fucking sexy. Mm-hmm. Also, you're sweating your ass off. People appreciate mm-hmm. it. And it, even to another latex fetishes, they're going to look at it and be like, oh, well, that must, they must have bought that at this latex place. And oh, they must have got this, blah, blah, blah. But they may not actually ever speak. Whereas with leather folk, make eye contact, do the head nod of, hey, I see you. And everybody's content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate that part of it. Now, have I encountered folks who are not that community-minded? Absolutely. Um, have I have I met other folk that are like, "Who the fuck are you?" and you need to prove why you matter to me? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I won't say that I don't sometimes have that same attitude depending on kind of what's going on around me. Um, I will also say that when I meet other leather folk. This is probably an asshole thing to say, but I'll own it. I have a higher expectation of them. I have a higher expectation of their behavior. I have a higher expectation of how they interact with their surroundings and the people around them. Because I have seen a leather person walk into a play space and instantly go full Karen. I'm like, stop it. (laughs) Not only are you cringy because you're a Karen, but you're a leather Karen. And like, that should not be a thing. No. <laughs> a leather Karen. You are now anti-leather Karen. And, and yeah. I've seen a few leather Karens. I feel like that needs to be a patch. <laughs> not a leather Karen? No leather Karen? Not a leather like, Karen. Mm. I think I'll put that yeah. on my next event. Amazing. Put that on my next event. I'll make a graphic. No leather Karens allowed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> I've seen that. And it literally instantly it makes me just a piece of me dies inside because I'm like, I know people are looking at them and then they look at me going, so y'all are alike. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, no, the fuck we're not. I promise we're not. We're not all like that. You know, you're going to have chads in the wild. It happens, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, please understand. We don't own. No, no, we, we don't embrace that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not who we are. No, and that's why I'm saying like there's people that just take themselves way too seriously with the whole leather thing, and leather becomes so much ingrained into their whole identity that they stop being anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is I mean, come on, kink versus reality, right? We all know, you know, like as as a dom, yes, I'm a dom all the time. I'm the domliest dom fucking out there, right? That's my mm-hmm. in my mind to to scene and to engage. I need to have that kind of headspace almost. But am I still Knox that sits home and scratches her ass? Yes. Am yes. I still the Knox that apparently vacuums up dog vomit <laughs> in my fucking bra? <laughs> Goddamn right I am. Oh. You know, I'm still leather as fuck as I'm vacuuming up dog shit. Yep. Right? Yep. I didn't cease being leather because I had to clean my own carpet because my slave was still sleeping. You know, that... And and that's the part that just blows my fucking mind when I encounter some leather folk. I'm like, you take yourself way too seriously. You've lost your humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that humanness is what we all relate to each other. And that's what we're seeking. Yeah, I'm not seeking your leather. I'm seeking you. I want to get to know you. The leather part is what makes me give a fuck. 
Well, that's right. the whole other part's why I even want to try to see if I want to get to know you. Right. But know? that's why I say I have a higher expectation. When you tell me you identify as leather, instantly I've got a higher expectation of how you interact with your surroundings and your people. And I, I do have very much a higher expectation of how you hold yourself. I think that's fair. I mean, I I welcome that because I feel like that's what sets me apart. And I say apart because I want to make sure that people are not hearing above. It's just apart. Mm -hmm. It makes me unique. Yes. I like that. That's a great distinction. Yes, very much. I like that as well. And and that's why a lot of times <laughs> I, I I didn't know I did it until like I called myself out for doing it. Um, but when I go into a brand new space for the first time, first time I was in California and I went to your space, you know, I didn't wear leather the very first time because I wanted to watch. I wanted to see, you know, I think it wasn't until like the second time I had ever been there that I actually wore leather. Maybe. I don't know. But I think it was because I was like, yeah, because I want to be able to see what's going on. You know, I want people, I want to see how people treat me if I don't have it on. Mm -hmm. And, but I do that if I've never been to a convention before, and it can be a leather convention. Mm -hmm. If I've never been to a space before, I will go in regular clothes and you won't have a clue. And then maybe the second day or the second time, you'll actually see me in my leathers. And my own friends will be like, we're at a leather convention and you're not even wearing, your, you're wearing leggings and flip-flops and a carnigan. And I'm like, Listen, you sloppy bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm comfortable. Um, so that matters. That you matters. try going to classes all day wearing jeans and leather boots and then tell me what you're going to wear the next day. You know, it's <laughs> valid. You know, it's, I want to, I want to get a feel, you know, but that's, I've always been a back of the class kind of gal. I want to get a feel for the room. I want to, I hate, I'm going to say, I, I want to see who the players are, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to see what I'm working with before I just go in because I would rather you underestimate me. Yeah. I would rather somebody underestimate me. And we, and it's funny because I just had a conversation in the dungeon the other day with the the people that we were talking about earlier about how they're the same age as my kids you know <laughs> they they said you're so underrated you underrate yourself you know you don't lead with like any of the things that we know about you you know you do realize that people underestimate you and i was like good i want them to underestimate me and they were like but why why would you do that to yourself i said i'm not doing it to myself they're choosing mm -hmm. to do it mhm mm yeah, that it's a reaction. How how they how they view me has no bearing on what I'm doing to myself. They're exactly. doing it to themselves. And they were like, but yeah, but don't you want them to know like who you are and everything? I was like, no, I don't give a shit if they know who I am. Doesn't validate me. No. no. I said I don't care if they know who I am. I don't care if they walk in this building and walk away and never known that I existed. Did, were they safe? Did they have a good environment? Did they have a good time? Did they learn something? Those are the things that I care about. I said, you know, so yes, I would rather somebody underestimate me all day long. Now, I think, because I like that you brought that up, because I feel this, this is a me statement, not a we statement. I own that too. So my perception ha, mm -hmm. is that 
women as a whole do that. Men, and, and of course I'm stereotyping, right? So I'm permitting right. it yeah. in here. But when you, when you, leather and kink, I, I'd say on both sides, right? Like you see people enter in a space and you do have two types of folks when it comes to that. You've got the people that their reputation and all of that stuff enters the room before them. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the people like you're like you're describing yourself, the non-assuming, quietly secure, you know, other folk that they're there soaking it in. You know, I, I like I like your analogy with that because and I say that because I've found the people who let titles, the honorifics, the experience, pomp and circumstance, you know, all whatever hoopla they have, people that allow that to enter first. Almost smacks of online dominance. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I and I say that because and and this is why I say I don't see it as often in women as I do in men. I will say that because I think women as a whole we've been conditioned to not value ourselves as much, and so mm-hmm. we downplay a lot of our achievements naturally because of society, right? Mm-hmm. And I won't I won't harp on that, but clearly I I feel that we've been conditioned to kind of simmer down. Yeah. Yeah, Spotlight's not for you. Simmer down. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas other folks, you know, they, they step into a dungeon space, whatever. And it's like you, I, I command the space and I've, and I have found, especially within leather, more of what I would call quiet dominance and quiet security. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the people that I would say embody leather culture, embody leather ethics and stuff that, that I understand them have this quiet serenity around them that they they are secure they may be neurotic as shit but you'll never know it (laughs) oh i never said i was sane no no, 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 right that's on the spectrum too but like yeah (laughs) but you see them you know they're they're the ones kind of quietly doing their thing they're they get the layout of whatever club they're in they get the the pulse of whatever group they're with and they seamlessly blend in stand out kind of they do something really cool or flashy whatever but they're not necessarily aiming for the spotlight. Whereas I find in other kink spheres and other groups, you have people that are fighting for limelight. Mm-hmm. I just, I find with leather folk, it's not always so front and center. Unless, unless the specific themed event or, mm-hmm. or there's some kind of peacocking happening because something else has happened. Yeah. Like in and of themselves in a space, I just don't tend to find it as much with leather folk. I think I appreciate that the most as well, but I also feel like had I seen more women being dominant, mm-hmm. had I seen more leather women, I might have not had quite so long of a path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I really think had I been able to see and doing and engaging and embodying things that I had been looking for, had I found people who looked like me, mm-hmm. I think I would have had a much easier starting point because like one of the things that I got early on, and I'm grateful for it, I learned the hard skills fast. Mm-hmm. You know, the gay men that I was engaging with let me play with them, taught me things. Um, so I learned a lot of hard skills very quick. Because were willing to show me hard skills. It was all the other shit that they couldn't teach me because I wasn't a man. Mm-hmm. Didn't identify as a man. So in that regard, they had nothing for me. And I appreciate that they knew that. 
Yeah. I got, like I said, I got really lucky before I got really unlucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was able to learn and pick up a lot of those things. I mean, I'm example, straight razor shaving. Like I teach straight razor shaving now. But the way that I got shown that was now no, a blind leatherman was shaving his boy on a stage. And my dominant at the time, who is now my husband, being sarcastic and he's like yeah she wants to learn how to shave and i'm like no the fuck i don't <laughs> and he's like you gonna learn today and i was like i've never straight razored a fucking thing like you trust me with this and he goes if you cut me you're gonna do it in front of all these people i was like oh fuck no pressure <laughs> but you know this this blind older gentleman who'd been a barber like 40 fucking years taught me how to straight razor my now husband's face and taught me the, how to do an erotic shave for a man we were able to incorporate into our DS at the time. You know, and then I learned after I became dominant how to flip that and use straight razor shaving as an act of aggression <laughs> and, <laughs> and conquering, right? Mm-hmm. So a little bit of terror. And you know, which is why I started teaching it. But but again, had it not been for having two key men say, do this. And showing faith in me that they knew I could do it, that I would take it serious and give it the weight that it needed for the danger of what we were doing, right? It's a fucking straight razor. You know? You know, and then being put on the spot to straight razor someone's entire head. You know, again, all, yeah, all dominant. Right? Like, you want to talk about crazy, terrifying ways to begin in kink. Um, <laughs> I, but I was lucky for that, right? Because I learned all the hard skills before I got into the the dynamics of it and the relationships and the people. So, I mean, I, I am very fortunate in that. But that's why I also got to see how different the different communities approach that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. And and I will, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, depending on the space, are there times that I'll walk in with a different energy? And a different presence? Absolutely. If I'm going to walk into a... Knox and I went. If I'm going to walk into a femdom party, I am not meek. I am not mild. (laughs) I am not hiding in a corner. Now, am I still sitting back and watching and figuring out the players? Yes. But it's going to have a very different energy to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... To me, it's all about time and place. Like, what's appropriate? What's needed? What do... What, what, what am I trying to, what's my intent? What's, what's, what's needed to be in this space for, for me to have fun and be comfortable and, and what do I need? You know, if I'm just walking into their play space, I don't need that energy. I didn't have that energy and walked into a play space for the first time and still had two scenes. (laughs) I mean... And these people didn't know me from a hole in the wall because I'm not from there. And I still had two scenes. So two great ones. <laughs> yeah, they were amazing. You know, so it's, so to me, it's, it's, it's a nuance that, again, it goes back to the, I can't teach you this. You have to be able to get some life experience and you have to be able to, to get some time in to be able to learn these little nuances about how people perceive you how do you want to be perceived what's your goal in each space that you're in what's the goal with each interaction you're having with people yeah you know 
And I think that if you learn how to work those little nuances and learn to differentiate that your goal doesn't have to be the same goal for every person in every space and every interaction, then then you start to to feel comfortable and you start realizing that these people aren't doing things to you. It's what are you allowing them to do? What are you opening yourself up to? What are you, how are you presenting yourself? Hmm. So that's a great segue to my last topic, so to speak. We didn't even plan it. That's awesome. There we go. <laughs> it's like you know me. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we're on the same wavelength this morning. Um, so, so thinking about, you know, everything that you've experienced and like looking over your entire leather journey as a whole. What are some of the stereotypes and thought processes that you've encountered that you wish people would let go? have to do with you being a leather woman? I wish they would let go with the fact that I don't have to do it like the old white men. Yeah. And it's still valid. It's hmm. a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. I think, um, you know, maybe just that I'm still a person, you know, sort of like what you said, Knox, how you like to get to know people as a person because they're leather. Um, like people have said to me that I'm intimidating and I'm like the least intimidating person I think on the planet. And so I guess, you know, I, I don't want to be seen as, as intimidating. I just, I want to be seen as a welcoming person. And I don't think that being a leather woman makes me any you know, have any sharper edges or make me harder than, than any other woman. It just sets me apart. I like that point. Yeah. I like that point a lot. It, Cause I tell when people meet me and they're like, Oh yeah, you're intimidating. I'm like, well, cause I'm a bitch yeah. I'm, and I'm not apologetic <laughs> about it. You know, in some circles I'll use the C bomb. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I own it because that's sometimes my personality because I am abrasive. I know that my personality is not for everyone. And I warn people of that too. Like I may not be your cup of tea. Totally fine. Like that doesn't mean I'm not going to still like you or respect you. Right. It just means that I may need some getting used to and vice versa. And I think, I think one of the big, big things that I see is that I wish leather folk were just more approachable. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if we, and I, and I say we as women, if we do not let people approach us, and obviously that has to deal with capacity and everything else. Like I'm not saying all the time, you know, ignore your mental health and stuff like that. And you're open to it. Being approachable is how you keep people interested and you don't get to pass the shit down to anyone if you don't get them interested. Because that, that's something that I've, I've heard a lot is, you know, oh, leather's dying out and how do we keep leather going? But being a gatekeepy asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Being a gatekeeper. Both resounding yeses. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you have somebody that walks up to you that's like, hey, so I noticed in FetLife you identify as leather. You know, can I ask you some questions about that? Hey, you know what? I'm playing tonight, so I'm really not in the headspace to discuss that shit. But if you want to hit me up, I can plan and mentally prep to have that kind of an in-depth conversation with you because I, I'm open to that or I welcome that. That says volumes to that person because it's, hey, I see you. I'm taking you serious. I will make time for you. Don't fucking abuse the privilege, right? 
Mm-hmm. I'm not dismissing you. You know, I'm not looking at you saying, go Google it, you sorry piece of shit. Like, and I've, and I've watched leather folk do that. I've watched people approach folks and, and ask like, hey, so how did you get interested in leather? And they're like, why the fuck would I tell you that? Obviously, you're talking about personal journeys, but what is the harm in looking at the person and saying, so that's actually kind of a personal question. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm willing to discuss that with you. Is there something else that you'd like to ask me? Mm-hmm. Now, just being willing to have those types of conversations, I think, are the game changer. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to bear their soul to every person that asks them about their leather journey because it is so private. Now, yes. I'm sorry. Your leather path is absolutely private and intimate. And it should be, I think. You know, I think as women, we prize that a little higher because there's so much of our lives that are not private and that are not necessarily under our control. I feel like when it comes to leather, we probably cling onto it a little tighter because it's uniquely ours. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say that's that's one of the stereotypes. I think the other big stereotype that I encounter a lot that still just pisses me off is that, oh, you're a leather woman, so you're a dyke. Yeah. I don't encounter that one. That one I, I get it a lot out here. That may be a Westie thing, a West it Coast might thing. Be. Um, another one that that I I wish that people would stop doing. Um, quit fetishizing me. You know, just because I am a leather woman and I enjoy wearing leather and I enjoy leather activities and all of the things doesn't mean I want to do it with you. You know, doesn't mean yeah. that. That I am entitled doesn't mean that you're entitled to have me do it to you just because you are submissive or you're intrigued by it. You know, it's and I think it's a combination of leather and being a dominant woman. You know, it, it, it combines a lot of those things. You know, just because I'm a dominant woman doesn't mean that I want you as a submissive. You know, it, I wish that stereotype would would break away and, and they could, you know, start seeing you as people. And like you were saying, you know, start seeing me as a person and not like just what I'm wearing or just how I'm presenting. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an insult, right? Can well, be, yeah. I, yeah, you know, because I'll get these, I mean, we all get the messages on on the website, you know, because we're not shy about who we are. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I want to, you know, drop to your feet and worship you. And I want to come do all the things. I didn't ask for that. I don't even know who the hell you are. Like, <laughs> how about hi? You know, would you yeah. like to have a coffee? You know, it's, or that it's, or that we're that easy, you know? Yeah. Like we're that we can just be had. Waiting. We're just sitting around waiting for somebody to offer to worship our feet. Yeah. That's all we do. We just sit around the house waiting for that message. You know, Thank God you sent one. I haven't, I've never had anybody offer that. Come on. <laughs> right. Come on. You know. Gross. Yeah. 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 So really I really gross. wish that that would, would die down. The, the fetishizing that, it, that can happen due to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very valid one. Yeah, and it happened on both sides. You know, the, the leathermen might get the same from other people. You know, I don't, I don't ever see that side of it. So it might be across the board. I don't know. 
I just know what what I deal with sometimes. And it's like, yeah, how about just offer for a cup of coffee? Like, I'd be down for that. <laughs> I, I think I it think probably does happen yeah, to Leatherman. It has to. Yeah. And, Can't imagine it doesn't. You know, because I don't present as the most feminine specimen specimen and you know I get I get those things. Mm-hmm. I get those messages. And sometimes I get them from women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably both sides. But yeah, that's the other one I would the other stereotype. You know, we can all go back to the stereotype that just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm a submissive. You know, it's I still think that there's parts of of the the het leather culture, the straight leather culture that you see that, you know, if you're, if you're a woman, then you're submissive. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see less of that lately. Um, But then again, I'm going to go back to the, am I seeing less of it because people don't assume that of me and know better than to treat me that way? Or Mm -hmm. is it really a societal change? So that I might have like a a biased opinion on that one. Right. So um, I think you're seeing a societal change. And so I'm hoping it's a society. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you are. People are people are a little more enlightened now compared, you know, to 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I think kind of going back to the whole fetishization part, I have noticed when I'm at a dungeon in my leather, I think I'm more sensitive to it because of having only identified as leather fetishist. And and mind mm-hmm. you, these are with people who don't know me. I always get people walking up, hey, so how much to have a session with you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> cause, you know, because I'm not in that headspace, right? So I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, but you're a pro, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, part of me is like, oh, that's flattering. Thank you. <laughs> 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 that small feminine part of my brain that's like, oh, you think I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, who doesn't like that part? But like, for me, there's the other side of it going, out what you saw was somebody who looks like the porn that you watch mm-hmm. automatically assume femdom and then you instantly went to prodom mm-hmm. yeah i'm like that's kind of offensive like lifestyle and it's funny because now that i have dabbled in the pro space and i have done some pro work like i, I giggle about it now because you know got, <laughs> i've had clients that have crossed over um and i've got clients that have become really good friends and so like you know we we kind of giggle about that sometimes because people don't know how to approach me but you know like I that is something that I see is that absolutely leather women get fetishized in that that regard because and people and now I'm seeing instead of automatically assuming that you must be a submissive they're automatically assuming that you're dominant uh yeah yeah because you have a vest on and you have boots on they're like oh you must be a dom it's like I could just be sitting here because I don't want to go home yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could see that my feet hurt and I just really want to sit down for a minute because I'm hot and right. tired. <laughs> like I just I've been beating ass for three hours. I'm exhausted, but I mean yeah. sure, yeah. What you need. <laughs> right? Like there's there's so many different things that just get misread. And and I and I do think it's just because people are just not used to seeing and encountering and interacting with leather folk. Mm-hmm. You know, because to be fair, if you're not in an area where there's a lot of leather folk. Like LA is kind of like a weird animal because there's there's a shit ton of leather all around LA. As fractured as it is, as weird yeah. as some of it can be sometimes, you know, in the different clubs and bars and whatever. But there's a shit ton of leather folk in in LA. 
go to Orlando, there's not. So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is people don't know how to interact and they don't know what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. So they don't know how to interact with you. It's like, I feel like in LA, people like kind of like almost gloss over you because they're so used to seeing leather. Oh, let a, let a leather person at. walk into our play space. Everybody right. sees them. Wow. But yeah. Everybody sees them. And then they all want to come to me and ask me if I know them. And I'm like, just <laughs> they walked in. Like, no, I don't know who they are. <laughs> uh-huh. That is funny. That is funny. But you must know. Don't you know everyone? There's only 10 I thought, of you. I thought you were leather. I am. <laughs> 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 start making me question why I thought I was like wait, 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 wait my guy get my leather bible and look up everybody with me yes. like, are you registered let me get my Rolodex of Florida? because I'm fucking old and look through my Rolodex of people I know <laughs> well and I and I've seen that happen too when like people have patches on their vests and stuff and they'll they'll like whether it's like NLA or you know whatever group and they're yeah. like oh yeah you guys are all part of the same organization I'm like you know there's like 60 like <laughs> yeah no it's not how that works yeah. no not at all that's always made me laugh too yeah yeah <laughs> well that's something else um we've got time um when it comes to openly identifying as leather, not just how you wear leather, mm-hmm. um, do you wear any kind of patches or pins or insignia? And what kind of significance do they have to you? Uh, all mine are biker, believe it or not. Like I have, well, no, I'm going to take that. You're setting me up, Knox. Um, yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean it. Yeah, the coffee kicked in. Um <laughs> the patches <laughs> I love you. The patches on my vest are significant to my leather journey. So they're very biker-ish, but they are all part of my leather journey. I have um I did add one on there that does say ma'am. So mm-hmm. I did add that one, but that's part of my journey. Um I have an American flag one. Uh, I have a, I have one that, uh, is significant because I am an army widow. And so to me, that's part of my journey. Um, I, so I, I joke about Knox setting me up because (laughs) part of my leather journey, I, like I said before, is my dad. And so to represent that part of my journey on my patch now this was four four or five years ago this was before the black lives matters movement mm-hmm. i went to bike week and i put a thin blue line flag patch on my vest because that is part of my leather journey it was in honor of my dad mm-hmm. and I became um, staff at a place at a play space, and I was pulled aside and was told that I needed to take it off of my vest. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset. They understood why it was on my vest when black when the Black Lives Matter movement happened. Everybody knew 
that that was a part of the the play space knew why it was on my vest. They knew what it represented to me, what it represented to my leather path, um, all of it. However, they said that if I was going to represent the play space, that I needed to take it off of my vest because not everybody knew me and that there could be problems with it. And (laughs) I was pissed. I was angry. And the first person I called was Knox. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I proceeded to go on like a 10 to 15 minute hate rant about all of it. And then I calmed down. You know, she helped me calm down and we thought she started helping me look at this logically. You know, let's start taking emotions out of it and this and that. And I understood where they were coming from. And I kind of, I understood from the very beginning where they were coming from. I understood how it could be offensive to people and that if people didn't know who I was or didn't know anything about me, how they could get a, an image of who they think I am simply because that is on my best. So I, I did intellectually understand, but I was very emotional about it. And so we came up with a compromise that I, it is still on my vest in honor of my dad. However, I cover it with black electrical tape so that to anybody who sees my vest, it blends in and you can't see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't have the heart to take it off because I felt like I would be disrespecting a huge part of my journey and my history if I did. Um, So, so yeah, so I have, oh, I have Dillagaff on there, you know, <laughs> I have, you know, the poly flag on there now. Um, I have, you know, the memorial stuff on there. So, but yeah, so that's probably the most controversial thing I have. Um, but you don't know what's there unless you actually see that there's tape and you don't know why there's tape on my vest. So it's ratchet and you need a new vest. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and instead of fixing it and getting a new vest, I just electrical taped my vest together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a hard time for me. Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, that was a really hard conversation for, for Knox to talk through with me. Um, a lot of feels around that. A lot of feels. I, mean, totally I actually don't have any patches on my vest. Um, I have one patch that was given to me several years ago. It's It, it says Daddy. Um, and I didn't ever have it sewn on, and I think there's probably a reason for that, and I probably won't. Um, but, you know, maybe that's one of the things that um, I'll be gifted. You know, maybe I'll be gifted a patch mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. I'll put but yeah, I don't have anything yet. So I intentionally wear a blank vest. Um, I do not put patches on my vest. I have patches, several. Um, my favorite one is Soul Snatcher. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. Um, <laughs> that, one, that was probably my favorite one. Um, and I've got a couple, like, you know, obviously my name and stuff like that. But I intentionally don't put patches on my vest. And part of it is having worked in so many dungeons, I don't feel it appropriate to 
show affiliation because I'm representing this space, not myself. Um, so I tend to wear a plain black vest for that reason, because it's, you know, again, certain things don't need to be on display when I'm representing another entity. Um, the other side of it is I'm fucking lazy. And <laughs> <laughs> owning it. The other side to that, too, is my one vest that is my favorite that I would sew everything on because it is what I would call my my primary, my dressier vest. It's really fucking pretty and I don't want to mess it up. Uh. <laughs> like, you know, not that I think my patches need to be on like a throwdown vest, but like, but but seriously, like this vest actually holds a lot of very significant meaning for me because the... It's just to look at it, a plain leather vest zips up the front. Like, it's very plain, very generic. It's a lambskin. I mean, it's it's pretty and all that. But for me, it, it holds a lot of significance because it was one of the first vests that I started wearing publicly. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first vests I started wearing after I announced that I was dominant, which was a huge life-altering thing for me. So I've never altered that vest for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the unique, very unique and awkward experience of last time I got to wear it fully, like, because I would wear it like as its own shirt. And the last time I got to do it was the day that I found out I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So like now it's an emotional attachment, right? Yeah. So I, I don't think I will ever add anything to that vest. Um. But I do think probably one day I'll get off my ass and put patches on another one of my vests so that I can wear that and show the different groups that I support and have affiliation with. Yeah. And also my sarcasm. I've never put run patches. I've never put run pins on my vest. You'll see people yeah. that have like every convention they've been to or they yeah. collect pins. I was never one. I never liked it because it puts holes in your vest. And I never yeah. liked the idea of doing that. And um, it's just really fucking heavy. To have all those pins on your vest. And My I'm tits like, are heavy enough. I don't need that. Like, yeah. here, I'm already carrying around boobs and like an ass and all this other stuff. And leather's heavy. I don't need to be carrying around like every run pin that I've ever gotten. So I've always said that I would get a vest to put all my pins on. Like I would create a pin vest. Yeah. But I, again, lazy. I've just not done it. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, we like going back to to the patch you'd mentioned, Miss Rue. Like, um, a couple of the play spaces that I volunteered and worked at were very particular that you were not allowed to have anything on your vest except your name, and if for mm-hmm. some of those reasons to avoid any kind of affiliation or impropriety or you know any political statements, you know whatever. Because like you know when you're staff, you're staff, and I think that just right. stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, I mean, like some of the volunteers that work underneath me now at the place that shall not be named, um, you know, they've, they were asked the same thing, you know, take, you know, understand that you're affiliated with, with certain groups, understand that that's, you know, your identity, but, you know, you know, when you're on the clock, you're on our clock, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. And, and I will say that that group was super cool about it. They absolutely understood, um, it was never a problem. There was no question when that ask was made. They were like, oh, absolutely. In fact, most of them went and bought separate vests to wear their staffing mm-hmm. versus when they're not. So that was pretty cool. 
because they obviously they didn't have to they could have told me to fuck off but you know right yeah, but yeah. going back to like what you're talking about, once the discussion was had and they understood where it was coming from, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense because it's you know, the venue has tried to really increase their presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been more efforts to have like leather events, leather centered events, um, and bringing back, you know, like boot blacks and having a real boot black on duty type thing and, you know, cigar socials and shit like that. So, people are starting to see leather more and it's also been a great way to get some of that conversation started with people that don't really understand what they're seeing yet, but they're curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I have had people walk up, they're like, Hey, so I see that person's wearing a vest. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Is that just their staff? And it's like, no, it's cause they're a leather person. They're like, what's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, cool. Now we can talk about it. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. There are people that don't understand boot black culture and, you know, tipping culture and stuff like that. Like, so it's nice to see some of these very visible representations happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think it's also good that people aren't being slapped in the face first with the politics of leather. They're getting right. to see leather folk. Yes. And then if they want to learn more about the politics and get involved in that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. they have the option to choose that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important because there are a lot of people, and we see it in kink, right? Um, kink is very political for a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. But there are people that come into kink to escape it. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, it's a position of privilege and, and all of that. But, again, it's their choice. Right. You don't have to like it. Right. So if they come into kink because they don't want to engage, you have to make space for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, Which that's is why important. I kept... I, I kept I kept my patches more because it's the only vest I own. So my patches are more just a re- like I said a representation of my journey. I've never been affiliated with a house. I've never been quote unquote patched um, to a specific group or or anything like that. So if you were to see mine, mine probably would give you the impression it's a biker vest, mm-hmm. um, simply because of the type of patches that are on it. And to be honest with you, I I don't wear it that often when I work. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of get called out on it a little bit. They're like, you don't wear your, your leather very often. And I was like, yeah, I, I bring it out, you know, time and place, you know. Uh, sure. I, I, I'll do it, but I don't have to do it all the time. And, and they're like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, so, you know, that there's a whole big story about why I won't wear um like specific group affiliated patches or I won't wear run patches or anything like that. Um long story short is one, I just like my I like my best to be personal to me. Um I like it to be about how I've gotten here, not necessarily <laughs> here we go. Um I don't need my vest to prove everywhere I've been to like I don't need it to be showy to try to prove anything. I'm not saying that people who do that are trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to stir anything up. I'm saying my personal is I, I want it to be more non-discreet to just me personally, because I want you to be like, feel more comfortable to ask me, you know, you'd be surprised how many people ask me what Dilligaf means. That doesn't surprise me. Cause if you're not military around military folks, they're not going to know. It's, 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 I, I, they'll be like, hard. what is, they, they try to pronounce it. And yeah, then when yeah, they yeah. say it, it's, it's so, it's so cute. 
And then when I, and I was like, you've never seen that word. And they're like, no, I don't know what that means. And so I, we play a little game a little bit and, you know, they try to figure it out. And then when I tell them, they're like, oh, that's fitting. Yeah, that's great. That, that's fucking great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, ladies. Um, yes. Final yeah. thoughts. Final any anything anything else that you'd like to say or anything else you think we should talk about? Something I missed. Uh, I appreciate the the space to be able to talk with you, ladies, about this because it's. I, I it's just a different energy. There's nothing better or nothing worse about about it. But I I like. I liked the opportunity to to spend time and openly talk about our unique experiences as women in leather and how we got here and that we can we can share it without feeling like we have to say or share the other side of the story with with the the history that everybody already kind of knows which is the you know, not the male side, you know, I'm just going to say it. Um, I, I appreciate the opportunity for this to be an entire entity and, yeah. and, and a valid one that, that has equal space. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. I, I, I love these candid conversations and it's great to be here, you know, with a couple of other leather women. Um, I, 100% respect, you know, leather history, but um, we also have our own experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we also have our own history. And it's important for leather women to tell their stories. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I appreciate, one, I appreciate both the, appreciate both of you being willing to share your experiences. Um, Obviously, giving up your mornings for me, this means a lot, <laughs> um, especially after my morning. Um, <laughs> but but no, honestly, it's I really hope if nothing else, right, like obviously we had a great time and this is great, but I hope other women hear this and understand how much we value each other as women in leather. Mm-hmm also how much we value hearing your experiences and I think that's something that we need to get better at mm -hmm. um, not just for making leather accessible but just helping people understand I leather right and being mm -hmm. able to relate with other mm -hmm. people that are similar to you and understand that there are people who feel like you mm -hmm. you know and so it it means a great deal that both of you were willing to to share some very personal and deeply private thoughts um i hope people get as much out of this conversation as i have yeah of course i love you both dearly so <laughs> oh, i love you too that we, there's you that. Too. we all started somewhere right did we all started we somewhere yeah and and we can't continue to have these conversations where we say we wish we had seen more of us if we're not willing to put ourselves out there to be seen Yes, that's correct. And that's the thing, right? Sometimes you got to be that uncomfortable first person that dives out there and says, hey, 
-hmm. Look at my fucked up journey before. Yeah, exactly. But you're my kind of fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. That may be another stereotype that I might want people to drop is that everybody has these elaborate journeys, you know, but most Mm -hmm. of us just like fell over our own two feet flat on our face many, many times. Oh God, right? (laughs) It wasn't pretty. <laughs> yes, there was nothing that's elegant like, about any of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why I enjoy teaching. Like people people have asked me like, you know, you talk so much about your relationship and like things that you've fucked up on. And I was like, you know why? I have found the more candid you are, the more relatable it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to uh, I'm going to steal a phrase from Brené Brown cuz I think she's a fantastic speaker, but really plugging her TED Talk here. But um Nay Brown talks about vulnerability. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the things that I think makes stuff so relatable is to hear, you know, hearing somebody get candid and get personal and private and share thoughts like this, because we all know there's thoughts that other people have. Mm-hmm. We're not unique in our experience as far as that goes, right? There's so many people deal with imposter syndrome. So many people deal with feeling inadequate and, you know, the anxiety and everything that goes with just being a human being. Um, and more so being somebody who identifies as a woman. And I think having other people be able to hear that vulnerability from the three of us will mm-hmm. absolutely resonate. And and I hope it encourages people to start asking more questions if they are genuinely interested in learning. Um, you know, Dartax and I always say, you know, find me on FET, find me on Instagram, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name literally is the same on every single platform. So if you can't find me, you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're on if you're on the dark Facebooks, my avatar is my boobs. Like, <laughs> Indeed, black and white pit pick. So, if you can't find me, you're not trying. <laughs> but uh, awesome, yeah. 